Hey, everybody. One more time. This is Greg Esparza from The Midnighters. And I hope you had fun listening to us talk and tell you all our stories about the past and the present. And I just want to say one thing, you know, regarding COVID-19, a lot of my friends out there know that early on in that first phase, I fought the virus. And uh, I just want to say that it is something that, you know, we can't let our guard down. Uh, our people, you know, we got large Latino communities all over the country and we're getting affected by this virus more so than a lot of other communities out there. So don't let your guard down, do the right thing, stay safe and do, do all the things that we got to do to prevent ourselves from getting this virus. And then we can all get together again at another Midnighter show and celebrate life and music. Peace and love, everybody. I love you. The Midnighters. Yeah. Hey, it's Khalifas, and you're tuned into Mashigo Radio, the People Station. Yeah. <laughs> MashigoRadio.com. MashigoRadio.com. It's time for your MCR radio show. Sit back and get ready to party to the newest and hottest hammer hits on the planet. Now here's your host, Juan Mendoza. Yeah, Mashigo Radio pleasure. Show Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Hopefully you guys are having a great day, a great weekend. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us here on another great episode of the Mashingon Radio Show Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we are very yeah. excited. We have a great uh, three great gentlemen from a legendary uh, soul and R&B Chicano group out of uh, Los Angeles, California. So on the line, ladies and gentlemen, we have Greg Esparza, Larry Rendon, and Jimmy Espinosa, the Midnighters. Gentlemen, hey, how's everybody doing? Here. Great. Great to be here. Doing I like great. the role the R's. Rendon. Rendon. <laughs> That's me, Rendon. Awesome, awesome. Right. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here. It is, uh, it is an honor to have you guys on the line with us. It is an honor to... Uh, just have you on our show, man. So how's how's everybody how's everybody doing? Well, we're doing great. good. We're doing good considering um, all the challenges that we all face. But we're here, and uh, on behalf of uh, myself, the Midnighters, all the band, and here today, Greg Esparza, Larry Rendon, and myself, we want to let you know that we really appreciate you reaching out to us. And you guys are marching going. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. It is, like I said, it's an honor. And I wanted to say this first uh, before we start anything. Uh, with your guys' permission, I wanted to dedicate the show to the late Rudy Salas from uh, from Tierra who passed away about a couple weeks ago. So we wanted to do that to him. I know right you guys were very good friends with him, worked with him for so long. And uh, it was just a tragic loss to the industry, to the business, to music in general. You know, and, and every, right. you know, Mexican-American, Chicano, however you guys want to classify yourself, you know, it's just a big loss to the industry and to music. Yeah, me, yeah. Absolutely. Greg and I and Larry shared the stage with Rudy for many, many, many years. And uh, 
it is a tragic loss. He's a, a legend, legacy, and and we take this time to grieve with the family. Thank you for asking. It's a, it impacted all of us, huh, huh, Greg? Oh yeah, I mean, I have memories that um, go back many years, even before I had the opportunity of singing with the band. I mean, the one thing about Dieta and these groups is that, you know, depending on, on what year you were born, I mean, but I, I remember hearing these songs in the kitchen, you know, growing up. So it goes way back. It goes further than just, um, you know, loving the, the music, uh, having the opportunity to become a friend of, of someone like Rudy uh, is just incredible. So I'll be sharing some of that um, and writing about it. What about you, Larry? Yeah, I've had uh, many occasions to be with Rudy. I've watched him grow up since they were youngsters and develop into musicians, composers, right. uh, recording engineers. Uh, every time I've spoken with him, he was gracious, he was open, friendly, and uh, yeah, it's a, it was a very big shock, and it reminds us all of our mortality. And yes, we should continue absolutely. to survive, compose, and do whatever we can to get ourselves and our community together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I grew up listening to his music. You know, my dad would play it on the records and cassettes back then, back in the day. And I grew up listening to all of you guys. You know, between you know Tierra and the Midnighters and War and you know all these great groups that came out over there. And um, I had an I had a privilege to actually interview Rudy last month. Uh, actually, uh, a little bit more than a month now. I had an interview and I was hoping mm -hmm. that that wasn't the last interview he ever had. You know, I, did, I was like, you know, it was, it was crazy. And it took us by shock when somebody had actually messaged uh, one of my YouTube videos that I had put of uh, Tierra and Little Joe uh, song that, that we mm -hmm. had on there. And somebody had said, you know, it was a tragic loss. Rest in peace, Rudy Sauce. And that just, my whole day just ended right there. I was like, what the hell happened? And, uh, you know, I messaged, right. I messaged my wife and I told her and, you know, we went to his Facebook page and went to Joanne's. Uh, page and sure enough, you know, he passed away and I was like, wow, that's that's some crazy stuff. You know, and, uh, I was hoping that I'm, I'm still hoping that my my interview wasn't the last one. You know, I was like hoping he had more interviews after that. But, you know, we still had him out there for, for everybody to listen to. Yeah, well, he, certainly, yeah. He, certainly, he certainly left uh, a large body of work for all of us to cherish in the future. And uh, it is a tragic loss. I, I had many, many conversations with Rudy throughout the years, both of us being band leaders, leading legacy groups. And one thing about Rudy, he was very, very giving. He loved his band. He loved the music. He was very uh, upfront and very innovative. And as Larry said earlier, we remembered uh, Rudy and Stevie Salas, mm -hmm. the, the, the generators of the, this great group, Jetta, yeah. when they were the, Sala, the Salas brothers. Yeah. And they were with a group called the Jaguars. Mm -hmm. and, and they were destined for stardom. They used to come to a lot of our shows. And we just formed a wonderful relationship. I was in a band with Rudy and Stevie called Maya with a late with Danny Lamont, the original drummer from the Midnighter, yeah. and a, a conga player named Max Garduna. And it was a really kick-butt group. And... Uh, I just watched, as Larry said uh, so correctly, they grew and grew and grew and hey, hey, they've made Carnegie Hall. How's that, man? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and then uh, right. I, I guess they had played with uh, El Chicano for, for a little while and then they actually formed uh, Tierra 
uh, after yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. 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 One thing yeah. about our East LA sound, there's a there's a wonderful brotherhood uh, mixture. I mean, even the bands that aren't really recording, like they call them the East LA Top Forty bands, mm -hmm. they're really they're badass. I mean, yeah. all of them have their own their own stamp to this brown sound, huh, Greg? Oh, it's incredible. I mean, there's a whole scene, man. It just, um, you know, to to be able to hear all the songs that all the bands do, it's just, you really have to dig in there, you know, because the talent is, it's pretty wide. It's just, uh, we don't get to hear them all the time. But yeah, everybody's out there just making some good stuff. And there's a whole new generation of young players right now that really recreating i guess you could say reviving um with a lot of authenticity the the 1960s sound which is really cool and, and i would love to see that generation of players connect with groups like you know the midnighters and and everybody because that that would actually be really fun yeah, it's man, actually I'm... it makes sense but uh we'll see what happens with all that I, th I think the music has come full circle. I've seen a lot of artists come up within the past few, past few years, uh, that have came out with this style of music again. And uh, I know that there was a band out there. I had actually purchased a 45 uh, this year. They had done a couple of your guys' mm -hmm. songs and put them on 45, which was pretty cool. And it sounds great, you know. And I think one oh, of these cool. one of these guys is from Miami, Florida, and the other one I think he's from uh, from California actually so these guys have done uh, done a great job and i think uh they call it soulies nowadays you know they, it's a new uh new the new style of music you know mixed in with the old lowrider sound i guess you call it uh, you know old chicano sound so they call it soulies now and these guys are doing great <laughs> a, lot, a lot of great music and a lot of uh, stuff that it came out this year alone too right right uh chicano soul is another popular tag uh, the bands out here that come to mind immediately are the Alton, yes. the Sinceres, and Trisha Toledo is doing some great stuff. And there's a, the, there's a really great band out of San Diego, and I wish I could tell you the name, but I can't think of it right now. Uh, but yeah, it, they're doing some really great stuff. Duran Jones and the Indication, yes. another favorite of mine. Yeah, we've been buying their their 45s and their uh, 33s that they've been coming out with, brand new stuff. And um, the Sinceres, uh, Joey Quinones and uh, jo Joseph Joshua were the ones that actually called themselves J&J &J and they actually did a couple of your guys' songs. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, That's I think one of them was Never cool. Give You Up and the other one was uh, Giving Up on Love and they did those on, on 45, which was awesome and they, they sound great and there's great quality of music cool. yeah there's there's so many young groups around uh that i know through my daughter that have come up i've been following a group called chicano batman since they barely yes. barely started oh yeah and, and it amazes me that all these bands uh were influenced by the midnighters it, it, it amazes me, but it, it's 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 honorable. It's it, you know I don't know what to say, but you kind of oh so many bands yeah that yes. I, that I know, talk to yes you know yeah uh, uh, Juan as a sidebar uh, I will be releasing uh, all our catalog on on vinyl nice uh, the whole catalog we're working on that right now getting the funding so it'll be made available on the internet. So people can purchase straight from the Midnighters website yeah. uh, a product 
um, not only uh, singles and, and uh, LPs, but merchandise generally uh, that people might want as memorabilia. Mm -hmm. Pretty much, uh, the Rolling Stones are famous for having a, a wonderful store. Yeah. So I'm I'm seeking platforms right now to get that product out, just so <laughs> that you know, so that it can buy directly uh, and get get uh, get their piece of action and memorabilia, be it a CD, um, an LP, or a 45 T-shirts, the whole thing. Larry and I are working on that right now as a side project to get those platforms up and running. Nice. Yeah, I've been trying to search for them, and I found a couple of them, but they're overseas. I think uh, Sweden and Germany carry a lot of your 45s, and uh, you know, but wow. they're they're real pricey, and especially with the shipping right now, it's gotten real. I think maybe that's all came out too, like uh, $300 or something like that. When I actually saw, I was like, wow, that's crazy. You know, it's expensive, but you rarely find them on on 33s <laughs> and 45s because they're so unique well, and they're really wanted. Well, th those those recordings you're talking about are originals. Mm -hmm that's why they're so expensive they're yeah. mint they're mint condition uh, uh uh from our original catalog that that were bought and were preserved for future uh so what we'll have is second generation but nonetheless it will be the all the authenticity of the uh, of the brand of the midnighters that we're known for yeah yeah it's a wonderful ride man i'm so glad to call <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, they, even the sleeves have the original uh, Woodier Boulevard logo uh, from the recording company. So that, that makes it even more unique that it had that logo on there. Absolutely. That yeah. was designed during the time when the Midnighters, uh, uh, Larry remembers us very well, when we uh, um, decided to form Whittier Records. Uh, we, we were with Chattahoochee Records, which was a division of Gene Norman Presents out of Hollywood. And... Uh, but our manager was pretty innovative. We decided we wanted to keep all the control of our catalog. So we formed uh, Whittier Records pretty much after the pattern of uh, Herb Albert and Jerry Moss. That was uh, A&M Records at the time. And so uh, like him, we did it. I was sort of like the band secretary at the time. So I did all the, the, the contracts and the publishing and the licensing and uh, uh, it was difficult because they didn't know really wh where to put us because we were so uh, eclectic, mm -hmm. meaning we had so many influences to draw upon from Henry Mancini to the Jazz Crusaders to uh, uh, the soul sounds that Willie G brought into that, uh, McKinley Mitchell, Jay Wiggins, uh, all the, the great soul singers, and then Romeo Prado, our late great. Uh, arranger mm -hmm. along with Larry brought in the uh, the jazz and the Latin it was and then of course Roy Marcus the late guitar player he and I had a fascination for the Beatles so we had the English invasion in there <laughs> this group this group could not be contained Hollywood didn't know what to do with us yeah literally I, I heard that, you, yeah, guys, we I heard that to... you guys were even classified as a as a Mexican surf group I guess you know kind of like a Dick Dell and uh, the Ventures you know, because you exactly, have that, that style of music in your music as well. That, that's exactly right. That goes a little even further before the Midnighters were formed to a surf band called the Desubians, where Danny Lamont, the drummer uh, uh, from the second, third, and fourth album, mm -hmm. I was in a surf band with him and a, uh, a guy named Bobby Cochran, who was the ghetto from the ghetto, who was a master. Uh, he was a nephew of Eddie Cochran, Summertime Blues fame. Mm -hmm. 
and they grew up in Bellflower, it would be considered like a brown sound and, and, and trailer poor white trash kind of thing. They used to, that's what they called it. <laughs> but he was a surfer, so we had the surf element. And of course, it mixed in with all the rock and roll shows because the Vesuvians were very gifted and present. I was the bass player. We used to wear, uh, we used to wear baseball, uh, we used to wear uh, kind of like surfer t-shirts. And anyway, what I'm right, trying to say is that infiltrated into the guitar sound. And of course it just became, uh, you know, this mixture. <laughs> yeah, so it was a lot yeah. of, yeah. you guys had a lot of mixtures and varieties of different, uh, I guess, genres all rolled up into one and it, it follows, a lot of these groups that followed you guys, you know, like War and, and Tierra and, and everything, they all implemented kind of like the same variety of music into their music as well. You could tell there was so much, you know, between like jazz and the surf music and soul and R&B and rock and roll and, you know, everything was in. And that's what made it so unique. Even to this day, it's really hard to classify exactly where you guys belong in which category. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, the, look, oh, go ahead, Larry. Yeah, in those days, if you were a band, in order to su survive, you had to play everything. You had to play, you know, the Mexican oldies to the soul to rock and roll to surf. You just had to play everything. That was part of our makeup. Yeah, absolutely. Th that's why they called it the the, the fertile, the sizzling '60s because there were so many influences. In the '60s, it was like a wide open. Uh, Pandora's box into anything possible, and of course the Beatles certainly uh, led uh, a lot in that uh, innovative, you know, uh, viewpoint of what what you can do and what you can't do. Yeah. It really was the sky was the limit. So we were, I, I'm trying to say we were right in the center in the mix. We were right in the mix. Yeah. Uh, we were in all the television shows, Casey Kasem, Sam Riddle, Ninth Street West, which Larry remembers very well. Huh, Larry? Oh yeah, I remember those TV shows. I remember coming home with makeup and the guys in the neighborhood would look at me and I said, "Hey, who is this guy, man? What's he doing there?" So yeah. I remember. I had to remember to wipe it off before I got home. Amen. We we were the first group to start wearing bell bottoms. Uh, we went to Fred Siegel out in Beverly Hills, and Larry and I, uh, we were buds in the band, and we used to go on shopping sprees, and we'd go down Santa Monica Boulevard, and we'd just score all the latest, you know, uh, le leather jackets, bell bottoms, and beads, because that was the 60s was happening. Yeah. There's something happening here, but it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, uh, Buffalo Springfield. Yeah. And so we, we were completely in the mix. 1965, we played the Rose Bowl. 38,000 people. That was the first large major rock and roll concert in history. Oh. It was the Midnighters, the Bobby Fuller Four, the Turtles, the Lovin' Spoonful, and uh, the Tur uh, who else was it? Uh, I, 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 uh, I think that was- So many, there's- uh... And we were privileged to do that. So uh, it was really rock and roll heaven. I mean, the scene in the 60s was completely buzzing. It was just buzzing like crazy. I'd be driving down the Sunset Strip, and next to me would pull up Jack Lemon in an XKE. Wow. I was driving a Triumph GT6 <laughs> down to the Union to file contracts. And I look at him and I said, hey, Jack, how you doing? I love some like it hot. He goes, oh, very good, young man. I mean, it was just, <laughs> everybody, it was just so hot. Larry, 
Larry, uh, tell them a little bit about our shopping spree. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Well, it was dangerous because we used to wear bell bottoms and nobody else was wearing it. Walked down I, the street and yeah, had to turn. <laughs> yeah. They said, are we the Midnighters or Mighty Coiners? And oh, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, but talking about, you know, history, uh, talk, you know, talking about history and all that and the different cultures, the Midnighters it originally started out called the Gentiles. And uh, yeah. that became the Midnighters. But uh, it's a funny story. Originally, before we recorded, before there was a change of personnel, there was a, we had a drummer who was of uh, Jewish uh, descent. Mm. You know, this was right before I got in the band. So they told me every time we they'd go pick up the drummer, you know, for rehearsals or gigs, whatever. His father would come on and says, "Jerry, what are you doing with those Gentiles?" <laughs> <laughs> so that was the name until it became the Midnighters. There's, there's a whole history there. Wow. Yeah, Larry, I, I didn't even know that, Larry. This is news to no, me. This, <laughs> this was back. This was back in like 1962. Wow! It, you know, all, was it, all, com- it all comes out yeah. almost 60 years later. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's it, yeah. incredible. I mean, has it been and, that uh, long? <laughs> so, 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 when was when was the moment that you guys actually called yourselves the Midnighters? Well, Larry oh. would remember that. Yeah, that happened, I believe, uh, probably the summer of 1962. I mean, uh, we uh, looked at all these posters and the different names of the bands, other bands. You know, they sounded so romantic. And and we looked at our name as the Gentiles. You know, what does that mean? A lot of people just don't know what it means. So at that time, you know, we had got together, and I'm not sure who after all this time was actually thought of the name but we all like hank battered hank ballard and the midnighters so we said let's let's do the midnighters but let's change the spelling and let's add the t-h-e-e in the beginning yeah so that after that we we were i think the battle of bands or something at uh saint alphonse's and that was the first time we uh went on as the midnighters wow oh also, another also, yeah i was just gonna say uh, not to interrupt you uh, mm-hmm. We dropped the GH and made it Midnighters, uh, yeah. so there wouldn't be any legal conflict. I know this because <laughs> I got contacted by Hank Ballard and the Midnighters. Oh, wow. They had a song. It was a black R&B group from New York City. They had a song called "There's a Thrill Up on the Hill," mm-hmm. and uh, it's a, a, a peppermint twist, I believe. And so uh, he contacted me and 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 he said, "Hey, Jimmy," we, we became friends. He said. Hey, uh, uh, I'm glad you guys never came to the uh, to, to New York City. So done a lot of, I made a lot of money playing for their boulevard. So we, we, we actually dropped the GH so we wouldn't have any conflict. He said, oh, that's okay. I made some money. <laughs> anyway, I, I wanted to add that GH that we dropped. It was T-H-E-E capitals, M-I-D-N-I-T-E-R-S. Some people say mid-nitters. I said, no, it's mid, like late night. <laughs> anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in. Go ahead, yeah. Larry. You were going yeah, also I was thinking during that time, uh, the rest of the bands, after we had a T-H-E, the rest of the bands started adding T-H-E-E, mm-hmm. which was, you know, it became a, a thing to do with the other bands following us. Yeah. But after after that, uh, what we used to do, as a matter of fact, we used to start off a show with uh, like Green Onions, that old, you know, song. Yeah. 
And, and we started wearing masks, you know, like the Lone Ranger masks. <laughs> <laughs> and we oh, did yeah, that yeah. for a while. And at the end of the, the song, we throw the masks out to the audience, you know. And that was, uh, that really got everybody's attention. Yeah. You, know? yeah. you can't do that nowadays, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it was fun then. Nice. You know? So that, uh, that was, I think, the start of uh, getting a, a greater following into the Battle of the Bands, which uh, then we started the rock and roll shows with uh, uh, Professor Taggart, and, and uh, that was the initial one. I guess in 1964, we recorded Land of a Thousand Dances live, and uh, thanks to Eddie yeah. Torres and uh, Mr. Taggart, we recorded that and released that. Mm-hmm. And that, that's another funny story about Cannibal and the Headhunters. Yeah, Greg, chime in there uh, on what you know about that and Cannibal. Yeah. Greg was part of uh, the other <laughs> Cannibal and Headhunters, which also recorded Land of Thousand Dances yeah. the same week. And wow. they, enjo- they enjoyed uh, East Coast popularity and it uh, ended up touring with the Beatles. We stayed on the West Coast and enjoyed uh, being on the charts. Two Chicano groups on the charts simultaneously. G- Greg, chime in on 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 your your knowledge of Cannibal and and your experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I want to say, I think we should revive the math and uh, throw them out into the crowd. <laughs> I was just going to say that, Greg. I was just going to say that. Twenty-one. You and I are in Moscow. <laughs> the other the other thing I was going to say. Uh, just to touch on the idea of fashion and style and all that, you know, uh, Scar, uh, Richard, uh, let me let me get everybody's names. Richard Lopez was known as Scar, one of the original headhunters, and he talked about them wearing makeup as well. And they they do a TV show and they'd come back into the into the radio. They they were raised up in the Ramona Garden Housing Projects area of East LA, Northeast LA area, and he said that you know because they were the headhunters that uh, they got a pass and nobody would bug them. Uh, but uh, the thing about the thing about uh, uh, Land of a Thousand Dances, though, is really a cool story. And I know there's I know there's different versions of this story, so this is going to be really fun. Uh, according to um, the guys, and let me let me let me name them correctly: uh, Frankie Cannibal Garcia, Joe Yo-Yo Jaramillo. Robert Rabbit Jaramillo and Richard Scar Lopez. Mm-hmm. So these these are the original four headhunters, and apparently they they had worked worked it out with the Midnighters uh, that the band was going to play because when you talk about Cannibal and the Headhunters, they were an upfront four man singing group like the Temptations. They didn't have a band, so they functioned in that way as as a performance mm-hmm. upfront singing and dancing. And so it was worked out that the Midnighters were going to play the tune, and uh, and the Headhunters were going to sing at uh, the the particular Battle of the Band. Uh, now, according to the Headhunters, they they were on the road coming down into L.A., and um, they said they said that uh, they made it to the venue, but they couldn't get into the venue on time, and there was a mix-up at the door, and they couldn't get in. And I think at this point, the Midnighters have a whole other story. And I think maybe maybe Jimmy or Larry can talk to you about that mm-hmm. and uh, and tell you how it happened that then they performed the song with Willie, right? Yeah, Larry, go ahead. You take that one. Yeah, yeah, we were going to back up Cannibal 
at the Rock and Roll Show. That was the Rock and Roll Show at East LA College, 1964. And we rehearsed with Cannibal. We rehearsed that song. When the show time came, you know, the next week or whenever, uh, we were ready, but uh, to my recollection, it, they were stuck up due to fog or something and couldn't get there in time. So we right, had, right. Uh, we had uh, so much time left to play on stage. Mm -hmm. And we said, well, you know, we rehearsed the song with Cannibal. Willie knows the na-na-na. So, you know, let's go ahead and play it. So we played. Now, whether they got there and <laughs> in time and couldn't get in, I have no knowledge of that. But to me, I don't think that's plausible since Taggart and uh, 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 Eddie Torres and all them were in charge or they had security. But, you know, that's, that's my recollection. They didn't get there in time. And we went on and played the song. You know, and it went on to be a hit <laughs> because the, the screams were very, very much alive and the girls were screaming. And uh, it was electrifying if you listen to the original. Uh, uh, we were, since went in and recorded uh, it in the studio when I got in the band. But uh, at that point, there was a bass player named Benny Lopez who was on the original uh East LA College one, a very good friend of mine and a wonderful man and musician. And uh, so that, the, 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 the story of how Na 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 came, and you'll hear different variations, but uh, sometimes, but mm -hmm. really uh, it's all to be looked at because you're not going to get complete uh, accuracy on every point of view uh, without offending somebody. You know, we've, we've uh, had that a couple of times. <laughs> so we all tell our. <laughs> Greg knows what I'm talking about. So we, we just sort of yeah. tell out stories and say, well, here's the blueprint and examine the whole blueprint. And, you know, don't fuss about things uh, because the whole idea is uh, we're all in it together. And so there might be somebody who forgot something or this. Well, for Christ's sake, we're not 21 anymore. And there's bound to be a little bit of blending and merging of some of the truth. But the fact of the matter is... Some of the folklore, we, right? That's exactly right. Is stay together and, and promote the brotherhood so that we get our product out there without fighting each other to get it out. You know, that's a whole other story there, which I can tell you. I can, I can, maybe another I can share some of that. I can share sh some of that history. Um, in that the song "Land of a Thousand Dances" came came from uh, Chris Kenner and Fats Domino, and they had a really long, beautiful, gospely intro to the song. And it didn't do well for them in the 1950s because of that. So it basically flopped in radio. And uh, when Cannibal and the Headhunters got a hold of it, um, they're the ones, because Frankie forgot the words to that long gospel intro, created that Nana line, which made it a top 40 mega hit. And um, some people used to say that he forgot it in a live show, but uh, it was in a rehearsal setting. And uh, the guys were so tight with their harmonies that when Frankie created the Na Na line, they fell into a three-part harmony and just echoed what he did. From that point on, they just they put it in because they felt that they landed on something that was golden, like they found a great hook. Yeah. And then um, in the Midnighters, you know, that live version, that night in 64 is epic. I mean, when you listen to it, it sounds like 
uh, it sounds like the Beatles are on stage and the screams are just so alive. And um, when you listen to the, to the Midnighters version of the live cut and then you listen to the recorded version of Cannibal and the Headhunters and they're both equally just grand. They're, they're gems. They have their own unique details to them that make them just incredible songs to just put your headphones on and close your eyes and you can go back in time and just trip out on the songs and love them both yeah. equally. Yeah, and plus a, a lot of people really don't even know the name of the song at times. They just say, hey, that song that goes na, 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 na. And, you know, a lot of other, a lot of other great groups have done it over the years. You know, Wilson Pickett had a great, you know, uh, had a great success with that song as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wilson, yeah. Wilson Pickett ran in. He he was on tour, and that's when he met Cannibal Netrunners. And he said, hey, do you mind if I record the song? And they all said, yeah, go for it, you know, and it became a top 10 hit. It's not number one for Wilson Pickett. Um, but one of the other things I'll say about the song that is very interesting is that when I've, I've had the obvious honor to sing both with Cannibal and, and with the Midnighters, mm -hmm. and the lyrics are different. And I don't think people really know that either, that uh, there is a change in the actual lyrics and uh, it's a really fun detail for me to play around with. And sometimes even when I've performed the song, I'll drop a line in from the other version just out of, you know, spontaneity and, and beautiful accidents, if you want to call them that. Nice. <laughs> no wonder. <laughs> if I, no like, wonder. Well, that's not how you it goes. You got to play a few extra notes there. No wonder. Ah. I, I was... I was <laughs> Greg, I was wondering why my fa my fancy was being tickled when you would make those little innuendos. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were ad-libbing or forgot some of the lyrics? <laughs> yeah, because if I say if I say Billy, get your yo-yo, that's a headhunter line. <laughs> and and Larry and, and Jimmy are probably saying, "Who's Billy?" <laughs> <laughs> we have Billy in the in the band. <laughs> yeah, Billy, Billy. Billy uh, was the road manager for the Headhunters. Yeah. Nice. And and I'm in, and I wish I could tell you his last name right now, but it's slipping me. Billy. Billy was the road manager. Nice. Yeah. So where did uh, Willie G come into the band? Larry. Uh, well, he was one of the original founders, as long as with myself. And that must have been slightly before. He probably came in '61, maybe. And I came in in '62, so he he was the uh, the original singer. From no, the, I, from remember, the, from the I remember. I remember. I uh, remember before Benny Lopez, it was it was Benny Savales. It was called Benny and the Midnighters, and I have yeah. a picture of Willie G on lead vocals, Larry Rendon on sax, Bobby Cochran on guitar, Raul Savales on guitar. I'm on bass. That was Benny and the Midnighters before. Uh, it was the Midnighters, and before it was Benny Lopez, and uh, so uh, it, you know it was really a re it was a CYO group, and it, it was really a revolving uh, uh, institution before it settled into the Midnighters recording wise in '64, mm -hmm. and uh, just quite something, quite something. Really, really used, to, really was uh, uh, always a, a, a very enthusiastic young man singing. I was playing with another group called the Legeriers, 
and we would be playing at the Paramount Ballroom with Max Viola and the Romantics, a lot of those great 60s groups. And Willie would always come up and want to fit in. And Willie uh, used to sing out a tune. And, 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 and I'd say, oh, God, uh, we got to let Willie sit in because, uh, you know, Charlie Garcia, his brother, who was an all-star quarterback. So uh, out of respect, he'd come in. He'd say, hey, Jimmy, let me sit in. He'd, and he'd come sing the blues. And I'd say, oh, man, he's still out of tune, man. But then he went home. I asked him later, hey, Willie, what did you do to become the great Willie G? Because I told him story. He says, well, I wanted to get good, so I went home. And he, this is what he did, natural talent. He, uh, pretty much like Greg. Greg. Greg's a natural also. He went home and he just listened to the records and he breathed. He developed his breathing technique from listening to all those records. Uh, McKinley Mitchell, uh, 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 the guy Jay Wiggins, the sad girl, uh, the guy who had given up. All. He just listened and listened and listened. And all of a sudden he came out and here's this gorgeous singer. And, he told me later on that's what he did. He just went in this room and wanted to get good. Uh, so I always wow, chuck yeah. him. He laughs when I say the story. And, of course, we skip over it because it's not where you start. It's where your heart is and where you end up. And if you continually to do it, uh, hey, I want to encourage all the younger guys that are listening and younger girls that are listening to this that if you have a dream in music, just keep on working on it. Larry and I always look at each other and say wow we're still doing it and greg, greg's been with us for, greg has been with us for what 15 16 years and greg has been uh, our choice because he's a, a great team player uh no eagle wonderful quarterback and he out of all the singers after willie g we had uh king charles we had jerry solace from el chicano with us for a while uh, elenaya elenaya who did a wonderful job on going out of my head, incidentally. Uh, um, Greg uh, has been the closest to delivering that warm ballad, lovely style, because uh, he really listened and did his homework. And so uh, that, that's why he has always been my choice, uh, you know, to represent uh, the lead singer spot. I don't want the lead singer spot. I'm the, I'm the bass player and I do some singing. Larry is the arranger and 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 horn uh lead horn section so we all have our important roles that's why it's so much fun doing a midnighter show because we never we never crash into each other as a matter of fact if you see us live there's movement greg is working this side of the stage i'm moving this way it's we're not just standing there like puppets it's almost like a living evolving uh, uh piece of theater yeah and that's what i enjoy mo most i was talking to greg last night after we were talking about that that's what I love about it, and we've gotten more con more territory to conquer. So, uh, let me turn it back over to you, Juan, because uh, I'm floating high right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. I, lo I love listening to these stories. Uh, but and uh, I want to add, I want to add something. Um, you know, just just not to forget some of the other guys. Hank Castro was another singer for many years, and just to to add to your question, Juan, that Larry was addressing about uh little willie g joining in 61 and i, I want to ask larry at what point was uh little ray little ray jimenez uh a part of the midnighters and a lead singer at the same time that willie was there i've always wondered about that yeah well willie was you know the original singer i guess 62 sometime after that came the midnighters and uh 
Lil Ray, who lived in Delano, came down and I, we heard him sing, or one of us heard him sing, and he came up and, and we talked and, and he joined he joined the band as a lead yeah. singer also. So they shared, you know, different songs, they did harmony. And uh, it, it's funny, <laughs> one incident, which is, well, anyway, there was a certain song we'd play in one key for Willie and one key for, uh, for Little Ray. And yeah. it was a song that I had to start off. So I'm wondering, wait a minute, do I go to B flat or do I go to C? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we got through that. But uh, no, they were both uh, our, our lead singers and shared shared the bill. At one point, uh, Lil Ray did leave. He wanted to do his own band, his own single, you know, on his own. Yeah. And, and Willie stayed with us. And then after Willie left, that's when we got El and I and then some of the other singers. Yeah. Yeah, some of the other yeah. So Greg, when you when you joined the band, how exactly did it happen? Were you recruited? Did you fill out an application? Did, did you go in there and right? <laughs> did you guys did you go in well, there yeah. and, and perform for yeah. them or how did that work? Yeah. You know it, yeah. it's really Oh go ahead, go ahead who was going? I, did, I don't know if he was addressing me or or well, anyway, probably, probably all of us. Yeah. As far as far as, my, <laughs> as far as my take on that, I believe that there is a force inside of us that God gives each person a gift, and once we surrender to that and really love it, part of that gift is freedom, and the artist sort of just lets things happen. Uh, if you're too stringent, uh, you know, you might go to classical music, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, but. The, the, the Chicano artist, the, the brown man, his approach because of the culture and love and trust and faith and, and uh, our historical Catholic uh, upbringing and all that, I believe there's a lot of faith and you just walk and you say, oh man, I got this gift and wherever it's going to take me, I'll just follow it. It's like follow that dream that Elvis Presley used to sing about. I know that's been in Greg and in me, and uh, he'll tell you his stories of how he would imagine himself, and that is the imagination. Yeah. So I believe that, mm -hmm. that we all had that, that, uh, that, oh man, man, wow, wow, I wonder where this can take me. <laughs> and, and I believe that all of us had our parents' support and support from a good group uh, I never had anybody tell me I couldn't do it, and I never believed that I could or couldn't. I just knew I loved it. And that I think the love mm -hmm. that we had brought everybody together naturally. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, you know. Nice. So great. Uh, and I would say, oh yeah, at the root of it, at the root of it for me, uh, you know, the music uh, comes from my mom and dad's record collection outright. I mean, my dad was from a big. Esparza East LA family and he had probably one of the, the best oldies collection of records that I could have as a kid growing up with um, and it was my mother though uh, that uh, Rosalie, so Ted and Rosalie Esparza, my parents my mother loved Johnny Mathis and so she had Maxine Cole, Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra she had all the balladies and the crooners and that really really did it for me as a young kid um, and one thing that I find really interesting uh, reading an article about Little Willie G is that he said his big influence were Nat King Cole, Frank Sinatra, Johnny Mathis. Mm -hmm. 
And so when I was dreaming about singing and imagining it for most of my life of wanting to do this, and I would tell people my biggest influences were Nat King Cole, Frank Sinatra, Johnny Mathis, and Little Willie G. (laughs) So you see how that works is that um, for, I would say, in the mid-80s, when I was 16, when I first heard the, the Midnighters uh, album that my dad had, um, I heard, I need someone. And immediately I thought, it sounds like Frank Sinatra, but a little different. Mm-hmm. And it had a little more soul. And from that point on, I started asking questions. Where is this band now? Where are they at? Uh, you know, just a million questions of why haven't I heard about them like I've heard about the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. It was just uh, a lot of curiosity and a lot of mystery for me. But um, at that point, any any record or album I could find, I just uh, went to work on the on the catalog. And basically, yeah, I locked myself in the room and just memorized the songs and sang along to the records. And eventually, when I got enough courage, I started singing them in front of my my brother and my mom and my dad and then my friends and uh, by the time I'm in my 20s and going out to Hollywood and all the clubs on the east side hmm. uh, if I was courageous enough I would sing a ballad or two to you know a couple of ladies at Tommy's when they're sitting there after a party eating their, their chili cheese fries and having their soda and I'd be like hey, I'm going to sing you a song you know yeah. so I, I was, I, was um, <laughs> I was dreaming about singing for the Midnighters since I was 16. Um, I I met Jimmy, if he recalls, sometime in the early 90s. Uh, and I had approached him and said, hey, Jimmy, you know, uh, I know all your songs. And he invited me to see the band play the very next night. Um, I didn't have a demo. I didn't grow up in a, in a musician family of active, you know, bands. And, and so I was very... Uh, very green and not knowing how I was going to get into this music world. Jimmy had asked if I had a demo and I didn't even know what a demo was. And he said, a cassette. (laughs) (laughs) And and it was really fun because I I enjoyed the show and I went home and I never saw Jimmy again until the end of the nineties for the second time. And, uh, and the funny thing is, that that was at Robert Morrow's. Uh, no, no, no. That was before that. I, I met you at the House of Blues when, when you guys were with Cannibal and the Headhunters uh, celebrating Freddie Fender's getting Freddie Fender getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Oh, that's um, who was singing lead? Right. Who was singing lead? I, I was there. I was there that night at the House of Blues to meet the Headhunters because I was going to audition for them. But I, when I learned that the Midnighters were there, I had a friend of mine, Billy Mondragon, uh, lead singing for Tierra at the time, and uh, said, oh, Jimmy and the Midnighters are in this room. And so he walked me in. And then this is the second time I meet, I met you, Jimmy. Oh, huh. And this time you gave me your business card. Because uh, I said the same thing I said almost 10 years earlier, I want you to hear me sing. And... Uh, what happens though is that five days later I auditioned for the Headhunters, and they gave me the job, and so I become a singer for the Headhunters, and I didn't feel it was right for me to call Jimmy, um, 
because I was, I finally got in a group for the very first time in my life and I wanted to honor that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was because I was singing for the Headhunters from 1999 to 2005. In those years was um, one particular night where I sang at a friend, Robert Amaro's house, and Jimmy heard me sing. And that's when he introduced himself to me, uh, Jimmy from the Midnighters. You want to tell it from there, Jimmy? Yeah, I sure do. But first, I want to ask you, who was lead singing when you when you went to see Cannibal uh, 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 that Walk of Fame at the House of Blues? Was it uh, was it King Charles? I believe it was King King Charles because Charlie Munoz was with the Headhunters at that time. Okay, okay. so because yeah, I, I kind of forgot of that, but what I do remember. Okay, yeah. so so fast forward to Robert tomorrow. So Robert. Uh, Robert Amaro and his wife Minerva, uh, she was uh, the daughter of, of uh, Mike Carcano that had a very famous uh, record store on Whittier Boulevard called the, Rec- called the Record Inn. And the Midnighters, uh, when we'd be uh, having our fame and fortune back in the 60s, we would always do in-stores and people would come in and buy our records and, and we'd find them and, 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 and all that stuff. Uh, really, really very exciting. So Robert marries Minerva, and they become good friends of mine. So Robert invites me to a party uh, to go jam and have some food. So I go there, and I'm sitting there uh, after I, I think I did a couple of numbers, La Bamba or whatever, you know. And I'm sitting there, and Greg shows up, and he's looking really cool. He has long trench coat, and he has a beret. And he gets up and he sings to be. Uh, he sings uh, Gloria. Gloria, Gloria, yeah, right? Real high falsetto. And, and I sat there and I said, "Whoa!" I said, "This boy can sing." Uh, I really was impressed because he had the breathing, he had the emotion, he had the look. It, it was just like a prince there. And I said, "My God!" So I, I, I earmarked yeah. that because I was having. Uh, I knew there was going to be a time for change. Uh, at one point, and uh, Mama didn't raise no fool. I saw a prize product there. So I, I went and introduced myself to him again, and we mm-hmm. formed a friendship, and later we came in, and uh, uh, then he he got drafted into the band after uh, King Charles uh, had had his day, and it, it, was just, it was just wonderful. It was wonderful, and Greg's been with us ever since. And uh, there you go, that's what I remember. Nice. And after yeah, 15, yeah. 16, and was, 15 16 years, true. after 15, 16 years, you know, how does it feel to be, you know, this long and singing all these hits that you grew up with listening to? Uh, yeah, it, it was a dream come true uh, because what people, what most people don't know is that, you know, when I say at 16 years old that I really tapped into their, their archive of music, I, I really put a lot of work into it. Even every moment that I sang a song a cappella on the street, um, the Midnighters was there. When when I auditioned to become an actor in theater, mm-hmm. I auditioned with a Midnighters song. Oh, wow. uh, when Steve Fallomir from Piera was in a uh, playing with his band in a, at the Rim Ram in Norwalk, he was the first guy to hit me up because he looked at me I was dressed a certain way, and he said, what do you do? I said, I'm a singer. And this was years before I was ever in a band. It was just, I had this mentality that I would tell people I'm a singer, even though I hadn't really done it. Mm-hmm. 
and he gave me that opportunity. And so when I when I sang with Steve Falomir, I sang a Midnighter song. So the Midnighters is is very ingrained in my DNA and imagination of wanting to be in the group. They they were a particular group that um, when I was 19 years old with my cousins, uh, we're listening to the Midnight, and I'm, I, I'm there and I said, you know, wouldn't it be something to sing with the Midnighters, their songs in a Valentine's concert? Wow. Because to me, the ballad was so powerful that it had to be Valentine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so when I met Jimmy that particular night, uh, when I sang that song, he said, I might call you someday because we had a meeting afterwards a few days later. And uh, he said, you know, Willie's back because we got a, a box set that we're promoting. And um, we, and now when Willie can't sing, we have Charlie Munoz uh, doing some, some covering. And if, if Charlie can't do the show, I'm going to call you. And so three years went by and it was January of 2006. And uh, I got a call, and I think, Jimmy, you might have called me uh, after midnight, which is very appropriate, <laughs> because then we're talking about midnighters after all. And um, I took the call. I, I didn't know who it was at first, and it was Jimmy. He was saying, hey, we have a show in 30 days. Do you think you can do it? And I said, yes, I can do it. And lo and behold, of all shows, it was a Valentine Super Love Jam <laughs> the San Jose uh, Arena. I can't think of the name now. It was a big arena with like 14,000 people. And so, with that said, my dream came true. Wow. Valentine Midnighters concert. So, now uh, it'll be 15 years, February next year. So every Valentine's weekend, uh, whether we're doing a show or not, that that's the weekend that marks my time with the band. And um, and that's where it's at. So, you know, I, I take the role on with a lot of pride, a lot of honor, and I try and uh, just give it my heart and soul and all the, all the dream that I imagined for those years come into every show that I do with the band. Yeah. You, you know... Uh that, that's a a, a, a a wonderful example of not dreaming casually, but dreaming with a purpose. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> I used to tell people that I called it dreaming wildly. <laughs> you guys have had a you lot know, a lot of hits over you know, the years. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, and all along, Larry and myself, uh, we'd always be powwowing and strategizing because of the different variations, the different singers, the different uh, uh, obstacles that we have to face. Larry and I have, have been the compadres uh, before Romeo passed on, uh, uh, or after Romeo passed on, that, that really uh, have held this legacy together. And uh, I just can't thank Larry Rendon enough as my personal brother, my bro, my bandmate, my bandmate. But uh, Larry has a special gift, and if you listen, uh, he, he's much better than even the better than you think that he is. I mean, he 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 is he has such musicality, second to none. Romeo would always look at Larry and say, "Lencho, 
Lencho. <laughs> oh my God! Now everybody's calling me Lencho. What's up, man? <laughs> no. Uh, likewise, Jimmy has kept the group going through uh, thick and thin, as they say, for the past how many years now? Fifty-five uh, years. Fifty-five, fifty-six years. My God, my something back like that. Out. Yeah. So uh, don't say that. My, my, my oh, next strap okay. is you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's been quite a wild ride, and uh, yeah, gratitude you know, too. I, I first saw Larry. What are Lencho? I first saw Lencho play. I first saw Lencho play at the Talpa Church Band. There was a band. Uh, okay, Larry lived about ten blocks away from me at Fourth Street in Boyle Heights. And there was a, play, a, a church called Our Lady of Talpa, and they had a band. And I used to go to their fiestas, you know, their carnivals, mm -hmm. fiestas. And I saw this band playing, and there's Larry playing sax. I'm standing. I didn't. I wasn't even a musician then. And there's Larry playing in the in the Talpa band, and I'm, I remember him. I said, Oh, look at that guy playing sax. I later meet him at East LA College uh, with Romeo, and Romeo I knew back uh, in grade school and early days at Salesian High School back in Boyle Heights. But Larry, uh, can you tell them, because uh, this is real important, how you met Romeo and how you guys formed this Jazz Crusader sound? It was so <laughs> it was so influential in Chicano power or in this great arrangement of giving up on love, you know? Yeah. Tell them about that. I think I first met Romeo when uh, I started playing with a group called The Mystics with uh, Tony Garcia. And Romeo was playing trumpet at that time, along with Bobby Loya, you know, playing trumpet. And when we got into the Midnighters, I think we convinced Romeo to play trombone instead of a trumpet. And he did. He acquiesced and he started playing trombone. And that's how we started getting our sound. I know when we were recording, some of the engineers said, well, you two have a certain sound. I take care of the highs, he takes care of the lows, and it produces a certain unique sound. So I, I, I greatly miss Romeo, you know, in producing that sound. But it, it, it's, uh, there's, there's so much to tell about Romeo. He was a, a kind of a guy that was always ahead of the curve, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In music and, and food and dress and everything. He was uh, spontaneous and very creative and we used to go on stage and he'd come up with lines and we'd harmonize on the spot and we almost read yeah. each other's mind. You know, it's just uh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Larry and Romeo, uh, uh, you know, for their partnership, their brotherhood, uh, their, their, their knowledge of music, they were like two birds flying together in harmony. And I was always totally impressed by the sound uh, before I got in the band. Uh, going to listening to the band well i was uh, i wasn't really lobbying for the position but i always loved romeo we were dear friends and and i really highly respected uh larry and, and romeo uh, uh, i remember uh hearing them uh, at a east l.a college doing a jazz crusaders tune called tough talk and man i said listen to that sound it, it, this was before the midnighters they even were developing this beautiful sound so i can say that i was there and 
participant in these these uh, in the evolution of the Midnighters horn sound. And I would say Romeo was uh, was a genius, uh, as well as uh, I know Larry uh, wouldn't accept that, but Larry's right along there. If you listen to his solos, uh, Romeo would always step back and talk to me and say, "Ah, look at Lenschel." Look at Lenschel. Uh, you know, <laughs> boy, that's, that's gonna be my name from now on, man. He loved, he loved, he, he, he loved you, man, and he, he he still loves you, of course, and he respected you. You guys, you guys were. I said, there, there's no. I mean, you guys were badass and still still are. <laughs> so this is confession time. I love you, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 Larry! Hey, Larry! Uh, don't don't feel bad. Last night when when I was talking to these guys, I got called Tom. Yeah, called who? I got called. Oh, Mom. that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I got Jimmy. Call me Tom. Tom. <laughs> he kept thinking it was Tom. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 You're Tom. Okay. <laughs> he, 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 no, he, called, he, he called me up, and I called. Back you know, and said, I said uh, Tom Mendoza, and he says, No, Juan. I said, well, why didn't you tell me in the first place? I said, well, now you're, I said, not, I said, now you're Tom. You're Juan Tomas Mendoza. <laughs> but, um, you know what I wanted, I wanted to add in, you know, thinking of the players from the 60s, you know, lots of guitarists from the East Side, like, you know, even Los Lobos, you know, they talk about the licks that George Dominguez was doing mm-hmm. or the drumming uh, of Danny Lamont. I mean, these guys were just way ahead of the curve, and to this day, you know, people study their their work, and uh, it's just amazing, you know. And and then, you know, yeah, if you can say more about that, because that's that is incre- It's an incredible part of the band, you know. Yeah, it's just that uh, uh, George was a natural player. He he could play that guitar. He he got had a he was a great blues player. Uh, he learned the surf. He learned the rock, and there wasn't anything he couldn't do. And uh, and uh, Danny Lamont also. Uh, drummers today still can't do what he did. Uh, I'm the bass player of the band, right, as well as the leader. But uh, so I, the rhythm section there. We've had fine drummers. They, I mean, beautiful. We had Aaron Bastedos, Robert Zapata, George Salazar. And George Salazar was the first drummer uh, in, on the first album, did an incredible job also. He was a natural player also. But Danny Lamont, we have a song called Love Special Delivery. And there is a lick in there that he's doing simultaneous uh, rhythms. His feet are doing one thing. And the top, uh, Tom Tom and Snare and... and uh, uh, symbols is doing something completely different, and I think I talked to Danny the other day. I was uh, about this. I said, Danny, he's retired now. I said, you get back in shape and you got the job immediately because these drummers are still trying to do what you did, and and same thing with uh, uh, George Dominguez. Uh, he was up and down that fretboard. He was he didn't know the names of the notes. He just say, well, tell me what dots, and I'll play what dots to play. I mean, he was a natural player. <laughs> and then, of course, now Roy wow. Marcus. Roy Marcus was the, uh, he was a studied musician. He studied all the chords. So he, as a rhythm guitar player, he played all these gorgeous chords because he studied with uh, Danny Diaz and Earth Martinez, who was mm. always a, also a legendary wow. guitar player, knew all the jazz stuff. 
So, but he also knew the rock stuff of the Beatles. So you had this wonderful blend of a uh, of two different guitar players. We always had two guitar players uh, that approached music differently, but were very gifted in each department, and they never clashed. Hilarious! They never clashed. Uh, no. Uh -uh. We, we all knew what, what to do, and uh, that's what was part of the, I guess, the magic of the band in stacking up yeah. all these, yeah. uh, uh, all these uh, talents, but not railroading each other. I mean, it was just, uh, everybody respected each other. I want to say that, too. There was a healthy brotherhood, and that, mm -hmm. I believe, is why a lot of the, the groups haven't progressed more, because they get into this mentality of, of one-upsmanship sometimes, and it has no place in it. And I'm just yeah. proud that the group that we have today, we're all brothers, we all respect each other, and we always have good shows. And, and yeah. uh, Greg, Greg, thanks for, for taking me there because that was a, a big part. Uh, go ahead, Juan. I mean, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, you I, know, we should, brag, we should brag about the band today, too. I mean, you know, Bob Robles on lead guitar, a, a lot of people don't know it, but we always... Uh, share it with our with the live audience that whenever Paul McCartney comes to town, he taps Bob Robles uh, to play lead guitar for his shows. Nice, you know, and that's how do how do you say Jimmy? Not too shabby. <laughs> <laughs> no, not too shabby. Yeah, uh, Bob Robles has played with uh, uh, Sir Paul McCartney. He's played with Jackson Brown. He's played with uh, Bette Midler. Uh, he's done a lot of session work. He is one of the, the, the best guitar players on this planet. Um, uh, he, he studies violin. He knows. He reads music. He memorizes. He has his own brand. He's a shred master. I mean, you talk about shredding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's a shred master. And I uh, can't say enough about him. Bobby Navarrete, uh, tenor player, alto and flute, is uh, we drafted him in from Tierra, and Bobby Loya, as as Greg was saying uh, before, the incomparable, uh, yeah, uh, trumpet player. These guys are, they're, they're top of the line, top of the line, so yeah. formidable, uh, and yet we all stay within the uh, uh, the parameters of the Midnighters. We could take it any place. That same band, we could transform it into a jazz band, a rock band, a blues band and with the authenticity but under the uh, uh under the covering of the midnighters we 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 have plenty of room to open it up but we keep it to the to the uh integrity of what uh romeo larry uh set as far as the horn sections are concerned yeah. bob robles is re under knows wh where when to take it from chicano power to uh gloria to the mother the chip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never never i ha never had it so bad oh that's another thing juan tom juan tom soup hey so hey let me say something man come on <laughs> i just uh the midnighters now as far as the underground punk oh that's the whole of the story. The Midnighters were influential to the punk movement of the 80s. Wow. Uh, uh, they, they took our B-sides and, and learned how to play 
from our B-sides. And we were different B-sides. Uh, groups like the New York Dolls, Johnny Rotten and the Sex Pistols, uh, Lux Interior and the Cramps, which are very famous in the punk yeah. underground. Right. A guy named, uh, who did found a peanut, uh, King Congo Powers. Th this is all white garage rock. Wow. And the Midnighters are, are the seminal influence of the punk rock movement. Because nice. a guy named Howie, Howie uh, Hiro, he has a, a radio show, a podcast called Intoxica Music. Check it out, uh, Juan, sometimes. Mm. And they love the Midnighters. We're, we're legends to them. And they didn't even really consider our ballads. It was all the fast stuff. So we got contacted to do a historic concert at the House of Blues in uh, in uh, New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And Dick Dale was on the show. And all these rockers and the Midnighters, uh, we didn't take any horns. Uh, we hired some people that were there. And Greg, it was myself, Greg, Larry, and uh, I think Bob Robles and, and, and uh, Dennis. <laughs> It's a pop rock and we, pop did, we did a rock and roll show. We did a yeah. rock show. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and so right now our music in Europe is played in, in every every area of Europe. They know us uh, well for the fast stuff, but also because time has passed, our ballads have bled in uh, to it. So the Midnighters is actually an internationally uh, very well known group. Right now, I'm connecting the dots to create new platforms to tie it all together mm -hmm. with new material coming up. And anyway, that's getting to something else. You can maybe talk at another time. But, yeah. but the point being that the Midnighters influence a lot of these white groups, which I'm real proud of. And Greg can tell you about that. He says, let's do Gloria. Let's do Gloria. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're on here. This is about Midnight. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, now, over the, over yeah, the year, I, I'm always... I'm always fighting for songs to get put into the show that when I look into the catalog and I'll be like, why aren't we doing this song? Why aren't we doing this song? And so, um, you know, whether, whether it's a rock jam or, or it's one of the ballads, like for instance, um, uh, you know, jump, jive and harmonize never knew I had it so bad. You know, we've, we've been able to do those, uh, in particular shows. But when you look at the other stuff too, I mean, the instrumentals, uh, and, um, Two, two come to mind, um, uh, Going Out of My Head is not an instrumental, but it was a song that the band hadn't performed since the early 70s, and we did it probably about eight years ago for the first yeah. time. And, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, what is the other instrumental, Larry? The one oh, that I, on I love. Walk On By. Walk On By. Yeah. And it's just, you know, I can't say enough, but I just love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We got a lot to pick from for the Midnighters. It's, it's really quite something. Yeah. Over the over the years, you guys have had a lot of hits. You know, Are You Angry, uh, Comeback Baby, Dreaming Casually, Giving Up on Love, Land of a Thousand Dances, Love Makes Me Do Foolish Things, Love Makes the World Go Around, Making Ends Meet, Never Give You Up, Soul and Inspiration, That's All, This Town I Live In, Whittier Boulevard. Which is your, your favorite songs to ever perform on stage? Go ahead, Greg. Go Ooh. ahead, Larry. Go ahead. I would say for uh, it's very sentimental to me. It'll never be over for me, and to be with you are the two top ballads, and 
the two rare songs that we haven't done that I still want to do is Could It Be and Don't Go Away. Nice. That's on my wish list. <laughs> what about you, man? Let's go. Oh, I thought you were talking to somebody else. Who's Lecho? <laughs> no, I don't know if I have a favorite song. I know what songs I like uh, playing on stage. One of them, uh, Chicano Power, because it, it's a horn song. You know, oh, it's yeah. Latin jazz, and that's that's the one I like. Uh, one that we haven't played recently, Walk On By. I enjoyed that one, too. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, uh, I think I enjoy playing That's All, too. I mean, that's all to many yeah. people is uh, the greatest uh, wedding song, the greatest uh, all-occasion song. And, uh, I mean, we've changed it a little bit upon the years, but I think that's that's probably one of my favorites due to the, the, the audience reaction, too. I mean, people come up to me and say, oh, I love that song. I was here in the 60s. I was doing that, that and this. And that's 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 a great feeling when you perform a song. And you get that reaction. It, it just, uh, what, what do they say? Applause is the food for the performer, for the artist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's really great. I, I, I dig that a lot. And I was just remembering, we used to play in Texas quite a few times. We played in El Paso at the Coliseum. Mm -hmm. And there used to be a, a DJ, Steve Crosno and the Discoteca. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you, ever knew about that or recall that but no. this was back in the 60s I mean there was it was tremendous what was his name Steve what Krosno Krosno Steve, Steve Krosno and the discoteca <laughs> <laughs> hey you know what you, you know another song I want us to do is Baila Cinderella oh yeah that's cool too yeah that, that was a great cut, man. That's another one you might want to check out, Juan. It's, it's super rare. Nice. I'm going to have to look that up, see if I can find it. Uh, Jimmy, which ones are your, your favorites? I love all my little beauties. Each and <laughs> I love each and every one. I go, oh, oh, come to daddy. Come to daddy. Uh, I, love to the daddy. Whole, I love the whole experience. Once uh, in a while. Uh, once yeah, in a once while. in a while. I'm, I'm, I'm very, um, my feeling, uh, that, that, that I have when I'm putting a show together and, 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 and Greg, Greg is so right. We, there's so much material we need to cover, but we usually end up only having about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes to do a show. And I have to get certain things in the catalog because people will get, you know, upset if we don't play certain songs. Yeah. But we actually need a good two hours to two and a half hours like Bruce Springsteen to properly visit all these areas um, because, you know, time and budget. And and so, I'm, you know, I, I'm in complete agreement with Greg that we should be doing all these other songs. And wow. hopefully... Uh, we'll be able to develop platforms where we can do actually a special. I'm working on something with Netflix right now to to, to do a, a special nice. uh, a, a, where we can actually do a two-hour show and visit the catalog uh, and really properly present it in a studio fashion. And it'll be up for sale. But uh, cool. make, those are some things that I'm thinking about. Uh, mm -hmm. But I love all of it. I love I love the rehearsing. 
I love the conversations. I love the powwow. I love the spontaneity when Greg says, can we do this? I go, yeah, okay. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, sometimes we, sometimes in the middle of a show, we might change a song and swap it out. And uh, I remember there was, there was a time, I think we, we performed uh, about 21 or 22 songs. I mean, a really long show. And, uh, and some, uh, you know, the, the tried and true fans, you know, this woman came up and she was angry, you know, she's like, you didn't sing. Are you angry? (laughs) She was was really angry at me. And so I I, I told her, I said, well, you just go talk to him. He's the manager. (laughs) The the irony. And, And she did. She came up to me and said, you can play our angry. So I called yeah. Greg. Greg came up and we sang it to her on the spot. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Acapella. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. No, no. With the pandemic going on and everything else right now at this point, uh, hopefully it does line up soon. You know, we really don't know what's going to happen here within this year, uh, especially with all right. the elections and getting everything, you know, everything's changing hands and uh, everything going on. But uh, if it does line up, hopefully soon, What's going to be next for the Midnighters? I think that, uh, first of all, once this vaccination gets broadly distributed, then they'll be opening things up because they won't have any reason because they'll, they'll have it uh, uh, under control to open up the venues. Uh, right now, uh, I, I'm planning a, a worldwide tour. Nice. Uh, and I'm talking to a lot of people now. They're all entertainment. They all are on, on the... Uh, on the COVID-19 uh, bulletin watch to get this vaccine out so that people feel safe to open up the venues. Uh, we'll be doing uh, some uh, some uh, recording again. Uh, we got a couple of CDs planned. So uh, it, it it's touch and go. We'll see how the market opens up. Mm-hmm. But the buzz that I've got is that when this vaccine hits, People are going to be safe. They're going to open up the economy again. Uh, you know, of course, we got a lot of this whole thing has been politicized. Uh, so I'm not going to take any sides. It's just so much controversy. As an artist, I just wanted to open up those venues so we can perform live again. Yeah. We, will, we will. Larry and I are working yeah. on getting our our brand. Uh, uh, where they can purchase uh, our material in uh, um, 45 and uh, 78 uh, format. And so there you go. Uh, with, uh, uh, with some prayers and the Lord, good Lord opening up these venues again, we'll be back in full force in 2021. Nice. Well, uh, yeah. gentlemen, thank you guys so much for joining us here. We're going to have to do a part two to this pretty soon and you know get some more stories from you guys and everything. Uh, but uh, like I said, I've been a big fan of your guys, you know, pretty much all my life. You know, it's just an honor to have you guys on my show. Uh, hopefully, when everything lines up, you guys can come out to Texas, you know, San Antonio, uh, Laredo area. Yeah. And we can actually meet up and, you know, probably do like a in-studio interview. That would be pretty cool for, their, you know, YouTube or something like that and our website. But, um, you know, every, everything's great. I'm, I'm a huge fan. And uh, just thank you f- so much for everything. No, thank, thank you. you. All right. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Juan Tom, Juan Tom, Juan Tom. Hey, Larry Rendon. That's yeah. right. Roll the R's, man. Roll yeah. the R's. There you go. Larry Rendon. Larry Rendon. Larry Esparza. 
<laughs> and my name is Jaime Jose Miguel Espinosa de los Monteros. Wow. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just call you hey. Jimmy. Hey, hey, Juan, 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 yes. could you send it? Could you send us each a copy of the podcast for posterity? Yes, sir. As soon as, uh, as soon as I get everything done, I have another interview here in a little bit. And then, uh, later on tonight, when uh, everything's out there on Spotify, I will definitely send you guys a copy of the files and you guys will have them out there. For, and I'll send you the link to the to the Spotify that way you guys can share them out there with your audience. On the Wonderful. Right. That's my single. So, <laughs> <laughs> my single. <laughs> wait a minute. Hey, everybody. Go. Thank you for listening. Ciao. <laughs> okay. Hey, hey, can we all say it together? Uh, uh, Larry and, and, and Greg on the count of three. Mas chingon. One, two, three. Mas chingon. Well, thank you for that one, gentlemen. It's, it's been an honor and it's been a pleasure to have you guys on my show. Uh, like I said, hopefully everything lines up pretty soon. We get to meet up in person. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you guys check out The Midnighters. They're on Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio. You can download their music. Uh, hopefully pretty soon they will come out with some uh, 33s they said they will 45s for you guys can purchase and uh, merchandise like shirts and koozies and all that good stuff out there so make sure you guys uh, check them out so on the line of course we have Jimmy Espinosa Larry Rendon and Gregory Espinosa right. <laughs> from the Midnighters <laughs> I, had to, I had to do that one for you guys <laughs> and, uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed the trip to uh, Whittier Boulevard and uh Thank you guys so much for joining me. Thank you, sir. All yeah, right. our pleasure. So we're going to play a couple songs here. First up, we got uh, Making Ends Meet. We're going to do Dreaming Casually, and then we're going to end it with That's All. And uh, gentlemen, thank you guys so much for everything. Really do appreciate it. Okay. But, uh, thank you. Thank you, Why? No problem. Thank, thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. Say that this has got to stop But every time I give a girl All the love that I have got She breaks my heart And then leaves me in tears It's such a shame But it's been going on for years Why won't they admit And just give in a little You can't make ends meet By leaving love Out the middle the type of guy that hates to see a lovely face crying but what can you do, can you do when, when you find out that that face you've been a lover and ain't been doing nothing but a lying well it makes no difference what she says or what she does or what it was I know I'm through Funny how love resembles the seasons of the year. So happy and joyful in the springtime, and by autumn your face will be full of tears. Cause the woman that you love, she put you down. She says she don't want you hanging around no more. Believe me, I'm But I don't want to be the one to 
say that this has got to stop But every time I give a girl all the love that I have got She breaks my heart in two Leaves me looking like a fool There just ain't nothing I can do But it's time that we all admit And just give in a little You can't make ends meet by leaving love out the middle That was the Midnighters right there, making ends meet, right here on the Mastering on Radio Show podcast. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for joining us here. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed the show. It'll be on Spotify, Deezer, iHeartRadio, and, of course, MasteringOnRadio.com. Uh, there's a lot of great information there. And, uh, like I said, it's just an honor for me to be able to interview these guys. These guys have been around for many, many years. And, uh, like I said, I'm just honored and uh, to be able to interview guys like these. Uh, so we're going to leave you with a couple more here. And uh, we got Dreaming Casually for everybody out there on the Master Gold Radio Show podcast. i
That's the Midnighters, and that's all right here on the Monster Gun Radio Show podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Thank you to the Midnighters for taking the time out of their schedule to join us here on this podcast. So on behalf of my baby, Lila Lisa, Lila Lisa Promotions, all of our DJs and affiliates, thank you guys so much for joining us here. Make sure you guys stay tuned. we got another podcast coming up. Uh, Charros of Rock are going to be joining us, so make sure you guys get ready for that. And, of course, your Top 20 Countdown later on. Uh, either today or tomorrow, so make sure you guys get ready for that. It'll be on Spotify and, of course, on MachineGunRadio.com. All right, we're going to leave you with one more here and uh, for the Midnighters, and this one is called That's All. So have a great day. Have a great week. God bless you guys. Y'all be safe out there, and we'll see you next time right here on the MachineGun Radio Show Podcast.
Lila Lisa Promotions is your number one source for getting your music heard on the air. For the last seven years, Lila has been distributing artist music to over 50 affiliates across the United States and Mexico. So if any artist wants their music heard on AM, FM, or internet radio, send your MP3 files, bios, and photos to Lila Lisa at lilalisa at gmail.com. That's lilalisa at gmail.com. Lila Lisa Promotions, your number one source for getting your music heard on the air. Thank you on behalf of the group and ourselves. I hope we pass the audition.